Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Bikes or Death podcast. As always, my name is Patrick, and I'm your host. And I'm particularly excited about today's episode. It is with a personal inspiration of mine and someone who I really look up to, and that is Chris Burkard. He is a well-known photographer and storyteller who has brought his passion for life and his dedication to be successful to the endurance cycling world. And the results are hard to argue with. In 2019, he set a world record of the WOW Cyclothon in Iceland, traveling 844 miles in only 52 hours, 36 minutes, and 19 seconds. Uh, he then put together a team and did the first ever traverse of Iceland through its interior on a bike. And this time, Chris entered arguably the hardest cycling race in the world, the Tour Divide. It was evident from the start of this race that Chris was there on a mission. With a declared time of 15 days, his intentions were clear. And for much of that race, he found himself on the pointy end and even ahead of Mike Hall's record-setting pace. An onslaught of mechanicals and navigation issues and harsh weather all played their role in this year's event. And in the end, Chris touched the border wall in seventh place. A very impressive finish. And today, we're going to talk all about it. But before we do... Let's thank the people that made today's episode possible, starting with our latest batch of patrons. So this week, we would like to thank Jason Willis, Patrick Brown, Kevin Lang, Amanda Shee, and Quig for signing up to be sustaining members of the podcast. And we would also like to thank Robert, no last name, for increasing his monthly donation we appreciate all of our patrons. They make these episodes possible. And if you are enjoying this work and would like to support it, you can find out more over at patreon.com forward slash bikes or death. All right. Well, today's episode is also brought to us by my friends over at hefe.bike. That is their website address. There is no .com. So it is hefe.bike is their website address. And Hefe.bike specializes in hard-to-find bikepacking accessories. They have carefully curated a collection of specialty and hard-to-find items with the bikepacker and adventure cyclist in mind. They specialize in bicycle cockpit mounts and dynamo components. And they personally ride everything that they sell, so everything on the site is Tour Divide grade quality. Now, speaking of the Tour Divide, there are over 40 documented starters in the Tour Divide racing with the K-Lite Dynamo lighting and charging system. And there are hundreds more that are touring the Great Divide mountain bike route and other ultra-challenging routes with K-Lite. It is the world's toughest light and charging system and the only one worth going off the grid with. To check out their full line of K-Lite products and curated products for the bikepacker and adventure cyclist, point your browser to hefe.bike. There's no .com on this one. It's hefe.bike. That's J-E-F-E dot B-I-K-E. Check out all their offerings on their website and don't forget to let them know 
the bikes are just sent you. Our next partner is AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. I drink it literally every day. And I gave AG1 a try because I know that Andrew Huberman supports it and recommends it and uses it. And I trust Andrew Huberman. Uh, if you don't know Andrew, he has another podcast called The Huberman Lab. I highly recommend it. He is a neuroscientist and he really breaks down complex neurological and biological and physiological concepts and makes them understandable and relatable to people like me and maybe like you. And I've really come to follow him and respect him as a source of good information. Uh, so whenever I heard Andrew recommends it and he uses it, I was like, okay, I need to check this out too. Now I drink AG1 every day before my workout and it makes me feel like I'm actually doing something good for my body and I'm giving it the nutrition that it needs. We talk a lot about nutrition for bike touring and bike racing and finding quality foods on route can be challenging to say the least. May I recommend AG1 travel packs for the nutritionally deficient bike packer on the go? If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one year of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com forward slash bikes or death. That's drinkag1.com forward slash bikes or death to take control of your daily nutritional insurance. All right, everyone, the bills have been paid, and now it is time to get to my chat with Chris Picard. We jump right in, so hang on to your seats because we're going to dive right into this episode. But first, let's have Miles Arbor kick it off with the Bikes for Death theme song. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. You just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your boss, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself. You let that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. Well, I was gonna say, man, I hope I, I'm grateful that you uh, took the time to to do this on the Fourth of July. I know how busy it's been. I know how busy it is, and especially with kids, it's a big deal. So I'm uh, I'm the expat, you know, living in Iceland right now. So I I'm not celebrating, but I I, I am celebrating in my heart. So um, yeah, yeah, man, yeah, no Super worries. Stoked. I appreciate I appreciate you taking the time. You're you're the real busy guy. I. We're actually going to talk about on the podcast. We're going to get down to the bottom of this, but uh, I just I, I'm impressed by your ability to to juggle everything. Um, so I appreciate you, yeah, carving out carving out a little bit of time. Heck yeah! Um, well, I'll tell you one thing: I don't have I don't have it figured out. I don't even I don't even really understand right now how to manage you know all the things that are kind of going on in life: a business, family 
um, the stresses of all that. And, and at the same time, trying to, in some capacity, um, you know, consider myself an athlete or, or at least have athletic pursuits. But I think that's kind of the beauty of it all, right. Is like, we, we try, we attempt, we fail, we learn. And, um, you know, I, I think I'm in the expert position of figuring out how to, uh, how to learn and how to learn from my mistakes. And, um, you know, that's kind of what the tour divide felt like for me was like one big learning opportunity. And, um, I wish I could have kind of, you know, I wish I could have learned from others mistakes better and, and, and been that more wise participant. Cause I feel like there are people out there who can do that, but that wasn't me. I feel like I had to make all the mistakes, even though I knew straight away coming into it, what they were going to be. And it was kind of one of those, it was kind of one of those, um, you know, I told you so situations where I felt like I was just constantly seeing the writing on the wall and being like, wow, okay, well, here I am. I'm stuck in this situation and now I'm stuck in this situation. And you know what? I, every single one, I feel like I, I, I saw it coming a mile away. Yeah. I've always considered myself an experiential learner. Um, I, I have to kind of immerse myself in whatever it is and, and learn by doing, I of course try to take lessons from other people and learn from their mistakes. But at the end of the day, I, what you said really resonates with me because it doesn't matter how much I read and how much I absorb from other people. I still feel like I need to, and maybe we all do, maybe we all need to like immerse ourselves in whatever the task or activity is and learn by actually doing because we're all different people and we're going to, the way we react, the way our bodies react, the way our emotions react are going to are going to vary greatly. And it's one thing to understand it, but it's another thing to internalize it, you know? Yep. I totally agree, man. And that's, that's exactly how I felt. And you know, it's funny is, um, seeing you at the end of the tour divide was definitely like, uh, like it really lifted my spirits. Um, (laughs) I just have to say that I, I know full well, that you were there for work, you had some projects going on, and then obviously, you know, uh, recording the podcast and whatnot. But I, I kind of just like told myself, I'm like, yeah, Patrick's just there for me, and <laughs> um, this is like my welcoming party. And it, I don't know, in some way, it like fired me up, and and just to kind of like at the end of all of that, have this like little tiny micro celebration was really special, and. And even to think about the fact that like all those guys, you know, Joe and Ryan and and, and, and Justinus, like the, the fact that they got in the car and, and drove, you know, 50 minutes to like come and see me to the finish line that like I could have I could have been I, I might as well have been crying. You know, um, it was it was a big deal. It makes a big difference um, to show up there and just be alone. It would have been so painful and um <laughs> i don't know i don't know that that was a that was a really significant thing i think that i think that that ride in general just it, it puts your emotions on high alert like there's no way to get through it without a few tears a few tears or a few emotions and you know um i i definitely didn't have mine in check you know i felt like throughout the whole experience the floodgates were open and i was just a ball of emotion and and it, and it, it was a very cathartic experience in many ways and i I feel a more open and more vulnerable now than I ever have before. And that, that will, that, that the tour divide will do that to you in a crazy way, in a really crazy way. Yeah. 
Yeah, I wonder if it's a combination of heightened emotions because, you know, all of your senses have to be heightened. You're always engaged for two weeks. Um, but at the same time, you're also, you know, lowering your defenses emotionally. You know, you're you're running on fumes. You're running on little sleep and little f food, which is also going to bring those emotions out. So it's like the combination of those two things where it's unavoidable. You're going to have a transformative uh, experience, I have to imagine. Yeah. Transformative is the word. I, I just can't put it any other way. And I just thank you for taking the time to even record a podcast with me. I've been so lucky to be a guest of, you know, of Bikes for Death for this is my third time now. And I still question, I, I still question every time I go on here, I'm like, do I have anything to offer? But I, I've been thinking about it a lot. And I think that the perspective of a rookie um, and the perspective of somebody who like isn't you know, isn't a professional cyclist. This is not my job. This is not, you know, this is a, it's the part of who I am, but it's really just something that I carved out the time and was passionate about. And I went out there and I gave it hell and I learned a ton. And I, I feel like, um, having had the privilege of consulting with some of the best, you know, um, Jay Peterberry and Louis Sador and, and Lael and Rebecca Rush and a lot of people who offered me wisdom. Um, I think that I have some, some pearls of wisdom to kind of share for those who might ever want to take this on or who might ever want to do this or um just from my perspective which again is is the most naive perspective you could ever have <laughs> going into it and um I'm I'm grateful for the experience and I'm just grateful to be here so yeah well I think I've I've faced this a lot with people feeling like they have imposter syndrome and I I oh, I yeah. take I take issue with that a little bit because I think you know most of the people who listen to this podcast and just bikepacking podcasts in general are people who are looking to figure out how to do that. You know, they're they're wanting to go on the tour divide and they're gonna be rookies and they're gonna be novices and they're gonna, you know. I think I think your experience uh, probably relates to a greater majority of the people who listen to this podcast rather than, you know, Lael, for example, who does this full time and it is the only thing she does and it's the only thing she manages and, and no discredit to her, but it is a different perspective. And to kind of touch on something you touched on just a couple minutes ago, me being there at the finish line for you was a was a big deal for me. You know, I, you're somebody who hypes me up and inspires me. Your <laughs> episodes are the ones that hype me up more than anything. You know, my, whenever I left the tour divide and, and went home, I mean, I've been hitting, you know, two workouts a day, then going on a bike ride. I mean, it's like every <laughs> single, I'm like, I'm like, what is it that allows him to, to be able to accomplish something this big, have such an amazing result on your first attempt of the tour divide and you're managing, you know, family and a very successful, uh, business. And I think, and, and, and the other thing that like I've, I've learned through being there and covering and having you be at the end of the tour divide and going to take some pictures is I got a ton of messages from other people who were echoing what what I was feeling and what I think when I think about you, which is how the fuck does this guy do it? You know, I, I, I follow this guy because he manages all this stuff and casually in his free time, sometimes somehow he figures out how to 
have an, just a, an overwhelmingly impressive result on the tour divide. I mean, part of the time thanks, you were beating Mario Hall's record. I mean, you were, yeah. you, you know, you didn't just like mail it in, dude. You were out there, <laughs> you know? Oh, man. You know, well, well, just I guess to just jump into that, I have to say, like, I was so eager and naive, you know, like, I, I, and, and I want to say this clearly, like, I'm so glad my calls records my calls record stands like it is so it is so cool to me that despite the fact that like ev- like there was four people who were in contention for potentially beating that time in the beginning of the divide i i was sitting in a great spot you know day 2 or 3 or 4 or whatever like 90 miles ahead of it i was like oh my gosh like you know i'm going to i'm going to you know potentially come close or i'm at least going to have like a 14 day finish Little did I know that like <laughs> the, the divide, the divide itself, um, this incredible route that just takes you through the most, the biggest variety of terrain you could ever imagine. Um, it, it truly like, oh my gosh, it just, it swats you down and just puts you in your place. The moment that you get remotely cocky. And, um, I was, I was blown away. You know, I had a lot of, uh, um, I had a lot more nerves coming into it than I ever thought. You know, I remember sitting at the start line the day before, couldn't even sleep, had to take sleeping pills the night before because I was like so nervous. And I remember talking to Lael at the start line and she was nervous too. And you know, what's <laughs> wild is like, I'm a friend of Lael's. We've been, we've been buddies for a while. I've ridden with her a lot. The whole time I was on the divide, I was thinking about Lael and I was thinking about the 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 times that she's raced this with controversy, the times that she's done this and DNF, the times that she's done it and scratched. I was just like, I cannot imagine being out here giving so much of yourself, so and then and being so emotional, and then all of a sudden having to like deal with controversy as well or something. Like it gave me so much empathy for her and really empathy for like Sofian and everybody who's ever had to do it again or do it over or or know that they're coming back next year or know that they're coming back the same season i just it was like and it's kind of a silly thing because like you know some of the you know you you see some of the people from divide kind of like you know messaging each other and you know we always like call each other family or this and that and truly like those people that you rode through the night with or that you um that you spent time on course with like they you feel close to them some of them you feel utterly competitive with some of them you feel super (laughs) close to like when like i have to say like when joe nation like when he when he went for it i guess you could say like it was night five coming out of colorado i remember um i remember having a good rad day riding through the great basin with him and i was talking with him and i'm like dude like you should be on the podium like you are so strong you're so fast you have all the chops to do this like i you know my bike was falling apart like i had fucking just pushed and pushed and uh and my mechanicals had set me back like almost 24 hours from the lead that i had and i and i remember talking to him about this and then like i think it was like 24 hours later he just did this mega push and i was like so happy for him i was like dude this guy earned it he deserves it when you see people like pass you and or get into that position that competitive position that that deserve it you feel like it's your win like it's your success do you know what i mean like i i felt stoked and there was a couple people that i rode to the night with a couple nights um that where i just 
was like so happy and and there is like this weird brotherhood and i and i just have to you know um oh god what's his name um totally blanking on the uh bikepacking.com video no the bikepacking.com video editor uh no it's the um, uh neil bachinko yes neil so neil had i had i had been chatting on on direct message with neil and he was talking about maybe riding the tour divide and I was telling him like, oh, my schedule might not line up. Like I might just do an ITT. And he's like, you know what? He's like, you should really try to do the grand apart. He's like, he's like, there's something really special about like, I forget what he said, but he's like, there's something really special about like when you're suffering, others are suffering. And you feel this empathy towards each other. Like, you know, that like what you're going through somebody else's and that creates a different feeling than being out there all alone. And I, oh, yeah. I totally agree with that. Like lining up at the start, with people seeing everybody's bikes, seeing everybody's setups, you know, like kind of knowing that like some people are going to have that magical ride. Some people are just going to get so beat down. Um, it's, it's a special feeling knowing that there are others going through what you're going through, you know, in the hardest moments, you kind of can, can tap into the fact that like, okay, somebody else is going to ride through this mud, uh, just right after me or somebody else already rode through it or somebody's going to see it in a day. You know what I mean? Like that, that really changed things for me. Yeah, absolutely. I've talked about this on the podcast a little bit because I did an ITT of my uh, 400 mile route here in East Texas. And I didn't, I underestimated how mentally, uh, how much more mentally challenging it is to just, you know, pick an obscure day and time by yourself and just yeah. line up and say, oh, okay. And then you're just out there. And I remember when I was going through it, I'm like, man, I really wish there was other people suffering too. Uh, and, and just that shared camaraderie. I don't, it's just like, it does, uh, there's a, there's a difference there that I can't fully articulate, but there, there's a mental boost and there's a shared experience aspect that comes when you're doing something hard together and you know, other people are dealing with the mud and the rain and the wind and the cold. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm not alone. Yep. You're, you're totally right. You know, there was, um, it was interesting because, uh, I'll just give you the quick, like, here's my, I'll give you like my quick rundown of my my race a bit yeah. and how it went um because i think it kind of sets the tone um and i don't want to blabber on but um Please. but i've thought about this a lot <laughs> and and uh you know i i started off strong you know i i am what i'm pretty good at is going without sleep and kind of putting in a consistent effort and i'm not the fastest rider like i was blown away by justinus's actual time on route like how fast he was riding and um and or like Ted King, just putting in like just mega effort, right? Like riding. But for me, I, I started the ride and I, um, I was with the front group and then I could kind of see that speed that they were carrying. And I'm like, I'm going to back off. Like, I I don't want to go that fast, right? My first day, but, you know, kept at my own pace, you know, did a good 200 miles the first day, stayed up 200 miles the second day. I think I was like 400 and 90 miles in or 390 miles in by within like the first, I don't even know, 52 hours or 48 hours or something along those lines. And I was feeling excellent. And, um, it was so funny because I, I, you know, one of the things that you don't realize is that if you don't stick to your plan, this is one of those pieces of advice that I wish somebody would have given me that I'm now offering to others for free. (laughs) (laughs) So, so take, take this with a grain of salt, but like, I, I had this thought that like, 
you know what, go ride as hard as you can until you can't. And then just like take a nap in the dirt, you know, just like bivy somewhere where it doesn't matter the time of day, doesn't matter the time of night, you know, just, just, just ride until you're tired and then bivy. And that's kind of what I did. I rode hard, rode through the night, first two nights, got to the border. I wasn't even tired, rode all, all the way into like the third day. And I was, I was feeling great. And then all of a sudden I'm like, you know what? I should probably, you know, conserve a little bit. I don't need to push for like 72 hours. Like I'm just going to chill. And I'm going to, I'm going to find a spot to sleep. And I, I remember looking on the map and I find this little town of Sealy and it's, it looks like it's just slightly off route, right? Well, that slightly off route is actually like one mile down a hill. Mm. And I, I look on the map and I'm like, it's okay. It's fine. You know, it's, it, that's like, you know, whatever, a 15 minute, you know, climb or whatever it is, I'll lose, you know, 20, 30 minutes, but there's a, a motor lodge right there. I get to that motor lodge. It's closed. So oh, my no. first sleep, my first actual sleep of the whole, like my first stop of the whole divide, I go down to this spot that's just dog shit. Like it, it was just, it was not a good place to rest. I decided to like go to the laundromat where I can get a shower and wash my kit. I like run into the laundromat, try to try to take a shower. They don't take, you know, I've got to go find coins. I go over to the <laughs> market. I've got to get coins. Dude, I am just making all the mistakes i'm wasting time i go take a shower i don't have like a towel i'm like holy shit like and then i go outside and i try to take a nap in the grass and i'm so tired so i'm like i'll sleep it's fine i try to take a nap in the grass and it's the middle of the day and it was like mid-morning and i was like just not sleeping you know cars are driving by people are pulling up i'm constantly waking up but what i what i'm getting at here is that not all sleep is created equal and this is yeah. the biggest mistake that I learned in the beginning was like the times which you have a hotel sleep where you can actually pop into a hotel, wash your kit, dry off your stuff, climb into some fresh sheets and go to bed in a dark environment. That is a thousand percent more valuable than any roadside bivy you will ever have. Right. Yeah. And, and trust me, I had a lot of roadside bivvies. I had bivvies down by creeks. I had bivvies in the bushes. I had bivvies behind toilets. I had, I did all of it. And, and I actually really love sleeping outside. Like one of my strengths or aspirations is like, I wanted a very feral experience. I enjoy right. that. I'm not, a, I'm not afraid of animals. I'm not afraid of whatever. Like I, I, I'm very comfortable. And so I was kind of, yeah, you want to be immersed to in like, the entire environment. I remember I saw online, like, I think you only slept in a hotel one night, the whole divide. Is that right? Yeah. Well, I, I, I ended up sleeping, I ended up sleeping three nights, but like oh, some of them were like, you know, I was there for one hour, but the oh, crazy wow. thing is, is like, I would rather trade one hour sleeping in a hotel than two to three hours sleeping outside because because you, you oftentimes you wake up shivering, you know, you're losing calories, right? It's uncomfortable. Like you, you're also like setting up your kit, you know, like whatever my baby right. laying it down, it's, it's getting wet. You're packing it away wet. There's just aspects to it that I, I felt and thought from the beginning that like, man, you know what? I am just going to have this really feral experience. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to like you know, sleep in the dirt, like whatever. And then I, I suddenly realized very quickly on the very first night, I was like, that was a terrible experience. So I ended up getting an hour and a half of sleep the first like 72 hours. And I, um, I climbed out of Sealy and I ended up riding all the way to Helena. And then I ended up taking like a five hour sleep. And what sucked is like, 
I lost so much time. I'm just wasting time. And, and that was one of the, that was the first big mistake that I really, that I really realized. Like, I was like, wow, I, everybody warned me, you know, again, Lael, um, I, I consulted with Jay Peterberry, like multiple hours on zoom, um, talked to Rebecca Rush, just Louis Sador, the 2018 winner. I had all these people who kind of really helped to guide me with some advice and intel. And the one thing that everybody echoed was like, be efficient efficiency is king. Like it doesn't matter if you're going to ride super fast and hard. It doesn't matter if you're going to ride slow and patiently. You know, if you look at the time differences, I believe you even mentioned this from, um, from like my calls time to, uh, Sophie time, very different styles of riding, right? Very different speeds. It's all about efficiency. And I, I recognized in that moment that all of that effort I just put in to like, go really hard, ride through the night. I was losing it because I was inefficient. Um, <laughs> and then, um, yeah, you know, uh, the, the, the second thing, there's kind of three, I, I like to think of these as like the three kind of, um, the, the, the three miniature deaths, right. That okay. I had on the divide. And the first one was like efficiency. Like, I think that I made some real efficiency mistakes. I, I remember staying in another spot, um, that I didn't realize was like a mile and a half off course. So I, I ended up, you know, having tacking on three extra miles to get to this, like, you know, you're looking at places and you think it's right on route, but actually, in fact, it's, it's kind of off route sure. and, um, you know, just, just little things. But what really sort of got me was, um, the mechanicals that I experienced throughout, um, throughout Bannock road and into Lima and then into Wyoming. And yeah. what started, what started is me thinking that I had a cleat that was broken. I thought right. that the plate under my, my cleat was broken, which in fact it did break two days later, um, ended up being not a crank that was loose, which I thought was also another issue, but it was my entire bottom bracket. So I had this day coming out of Bannock road, coming out of Lima, Montana, where I was stopping every 45 minutes to adjust my, the plate on my shoe, thinking that my cleat was wrong or something was happening. In fact, it was my, I thought it was my cranks. My cranks had like a little bit of play in them and I kept adjusting my cranks. I kept like, you know, tight, loosening that little adjuster, like screw thing. And then, and then trying, I had to clear the mud out of there. Long story short, after FaceTiming my mechanic back home, it turned out that it was my bottom bracket. And I can't fully describe to you the, the, the fear, the stress around this moment. Um, and I've, I've kind of tried to online, but maybe this is the good best platform to do it. But like, Let's hear it. I, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was like, I was on the backside of the pass coming into the Tetons, which if anybody's familiar with it, there's this big mountain pass that goes from Idaho to long kind of tedious climb kind of like uh not not a not steep but just like low angle but it just kind of goes on forever and there's no cell service and then you basically drop into the backside of the tetons you drop into like grand teton national park and that day um as i was feeling my bottom bracket start to get looser i'm calling around trying to find a mobile mechanic to meet me right because if i i was like the furthest point from any shop that would have the part i need you know and uh, I found one. He had the part. He's like, I've done this for the people on Divide before. I'm like, cool. Is this public service? He's like, yes. I'm like, awesome. This isn't like some special thing <laughs> for me. He's like, no. So I'm like, okay, 
fits all the boxes. I'm like, listen, like I need you to meet me on the other side of the Teton Pass down by Flag Ranch. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know how long this is going to take me because my bottom bracket is seizing up. Like it is, it is in the process of seizing up every 20 minutes. It's starting to squeak and squeal. And what I'm having to do is ride and I'm having to squirt chain lube all over it to get some type of lubrication. And, and I'm like, dude, I hope you're there. I'm like, please be there. Like, or I have to scratch because I, I would have had to waste a whole day, like getting a ride to Pinedale or getting a ride somewhere else to get the part that I needed. Right. Oh yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, long story short, that whole day, I couldn't really ri- I couldn't really stand up and ride. I had to sit down and just kind of lightly pedal because the more you're standing up, you're kind of putting pressure and your, your spindle starts to kind of like come apart. Right. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm climbing this pass, trying to like feather, like feather my, my entire drivetrain to get it up there, which is not my riding style. I like to mash. <laughs> I like to go hard. I like to put my energy. I could see everybody just catching up to me. Like uh, hours and hours of work being just lost. I eventually get to the top of this pass and I've got like 12 miles to go or, or like six, seven miles to go, mostly descent. And all of a sudden it like seizes up fully. I mean, it's just squeaking so bad. I, I sit this bike down, lubricate it with chain lube, everything I've got. And all of a sudden to get the bike going, it's taking me like 400 watts just to push the cranks all of a sudden to get it, to get it moving. And then once it's moving, it's, it's, it's all right. Right. But I'm just, I'm putting in way more energy than I think I have the rest of the whole divide combined. Like that was the single hardest effort I think I've done in years. Yeah. And, um, I'm at, I'm at the top of this pass. Um, all of a sudden Joe nation pulls up and, and the guy is such a cool dude. He's like, he could see I was in like a bad place and he kind of rode with me into Jackson, you know, obviously going slower than, than he normally would. And I was just like, dude, you're a legend. Like, like just to have somebody there meant so much. And like in my time of need, when I was like really struggling, um, and I yeah, eventually made awesome. it down the flag. He is dude. He's just like, so just the purest heart. Anyways, we both rode down to flag ranch. I, I made it down there. I get to the parking lot. The truck is there. I'm like, Oh my God, I was so grateful. I, I literally <laughs> just hugged this dude like (laughs) full bear hug like almost crying and i was like he's like okay cool slap it on like the bike rack blah blah and i put it on the bike rack and i'm like hey do you mind if i sleep right now because it's it's 1 a.m and he's like nope nope no problem so i just i i lay down on the cement in in the parking lot and i just go to bed and dude, he, w- he woke me up and I swear I must have screamed. Like I had no idea where I was. I was so belligerent, like just this, this sweet man, like, you know, trying to gently wake me up and, and I'm just absolutely out of my mind. Right. I had just put in a mega effort. I hadn't slept well, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And anyway, he wakes me up and I'm like, cool, man. Thank you so much. Just like lay the bike down. I'm good. I'm going to keep sleeping. And I had, I had planned to kind of sleep more that night. I got one hour. And all of a sudden I got into my head that like, I'm in a parking lot in the remote part of Jackson hole, you know, or the remote part of the Tetons. Like this is kind of like the place where you get like nabbed out of your bag by bears. And I don't know what it was, but just feeling so exposed, all my other friends are in a pit toilet, like 12 miles down the road at the, Uh. at the, you know, I, it was just one of those complicated things where like, I wasn't where I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And 
in that moment, you know, I kind of convinced myself, I'm like, you know, what? I'm going to stay up, pull another all nighter and just keep riding, get back my lead that I lost from all this effort. And, uh, that was a big mistake. You know, I rode through the night I wrote and And I think that what, what sort of struck me at this point, which is another just comment that people just don't really think about is like night riding is great. It's really awesome. It's a great skill to have. You, you really want to make sure you have the, the right lights for it. But man, it, it, it is not efficient. It's just never that efficient. You, you're going to always go slower. Right. And just because your visibility think, is limited. Yeah, your visibility is limited. Your your judge of um, you know your 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 response time is limited. Even the time it takes to kind of like look down at your bike computer and look oh, look in front of you. If, if you've ever been tired and you have that feeling where you're looking ahead and looking down, it takes your eyes like a second to adjust. Yep, that's tough. You know, it's a good telltale sign that you're like pushing it, and maybe your body's not responding in the right way. Um, and so I, I think that, you know, just having ridden through the night so, so many times, I could start to really understand that my numbers and my efficiency was not where I wanted it to be. And um, I think that what I recognized later, you know, talking to JP and stuff was like, you really have to choose the parts of the route that you want to ride at night. Not all of them are ideal to do so. Some mm. of them are flat or road or, you know what I mean? It's kind of mindless riding. And yeah. that makes more sense. But yeah. like, there are certain sections where like, I really blew it and I rode, you know, X, Y, or Z section in the middle of the night. And that just wasn't really efficient in the grand scheme of things. Um, so yeah, I mean, again, just, just kind of trying to, to bring back that lead because there was this period of time where like four or five days where it was, you know, a first, second, third place guys, and then like a 90 mile gap and then me and then another 90 mile gap and then the rest of everybody else. Yeah. And, uh, I lost all that. <laughs> it all just went down the drain and, you know, I don't want to bore you with the rest of the mechanicals, but it was, you know, eventually it was brakes and then eventually it was wheels that just weren't even moving. And then obviously mud. And then by the end of the divide, my chain was so <laughs> stretched out. It was almost touching the ground and yeah. that was affecting my affecting my derailleur in some really bad ways. And I, I guess I'd say as a, as a word of caution, like if you're going to bring a specialty chain, like a flat top SRAM chain, maybe just bring an extra, you know, um, because I yeah. looked at every bike shop, every bike shop I could steamboat, silver city, um, you know, Pinedale, I couldn't find one. And that became a big crux for me it was like, I cannot fix this piece of gear. You know, right. this is something I have to live with. And by the end, by the end of the route, I had four or five usable gears on my 12 speed, you know, where I wasn't just grinding. And, um, I, so I learned so much, man. I learned so much. I eventually had to replace my shoes somewhere cause my cleat did break out of my, out of my shoe. It was probably, I wonder if your shoe was caused by the bottom bracket that was, you were having to do 400 Watts instead of 200 or whatever. And um, yeah. so you're pulling up harder. And so, yeah, for people listening, like you, you're the, the plate to which your uh, cleat adheres to on the bottom of your shoe, like ripped off the bottom of your shoe, essentially. Yeah. Um, so you had to get new shoes at some point. Yeah, I became totally disconnected. So I had a day um, going into Colorado where basically I couldn't lift up on my right foot. So it was only downward pressure. 
And um, that that also throws you for a really weird loop. Um, like when when like when you when you're riding a hundred miles doing kind of a uh, an obscure movement, like it can mess up your body. And um, that it it also that kind of resulted in uh, me coming into the town of Herzl, and I got this you know little like kind of. Um, uh, some little hotel or some little like, like farm stay or whatever it was in the town of Herzl. Um, because I was having like excruciating calf, uh, or thigh pain. I've never experienced that on the bike in my entire life. And I think that some of that was obviously, it, it was because of these irregular movements that I was having to do, um, over the period of the last couple of days you know, love, you know, trying to push really hard to get this crank to work. And then all of a sudden not being able to lift my leg and having to push down. And so, yeah, that's my exhaustive list of just like what happened. And man, towards the end, I just, I could see that position of being in fourth or being in third, just kind of diminishing. And it was, um, it was a, a, a definitely a moment in like having patience, accepting, self-acceptance, all those things that um, yeah. maybe weren't, aren't my best traits. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting. Uh, I, I'm, I'm learning through, you know, you go through your list and, and how you kind of feel about it that, you know, you, you went into this tour divide with a, with a competitive mindset to do well. And I, I wonder if we can just talk a little bit about what was your goal where did that goal come from and and you know how how competitive were you feeling you know because some people can i don't know like me for example i'm not the most competitive person so i'll be like i don't know i had some mechanicals that didn't go my way so i kind of adjusted but it seems like those you know those really sat with you and bothered you and so it'd be interesting to know what your what your goal was what your mindset was going in and then how you dealt with those adversities as they came. And I mean, they came through injuries, mechanicals, weather, and ever, you know, sleep going wrong, you know? So yeah. Can you speak to that a little bit? Absolutely. Uh, and I, I think it's interesting because, um, you know, I, I, I'll be, you know, as, as honest as I can here, cause I'm, I'm trying to be more honest with myself throughout this experience was like, I went into the divide with like three goals, like, like the first goal being like, I really would dream of a 14 day finish. I didn't care which place I was in. Um, you know, a 14 day finish to me is like this elite. It's elite. You know, that's just all it is. Like it's, yeah. it's an elite time period. There's only so many people who've ever done it, who finished in 14 days. Um, and I didn't really care if that was 14 days, 24 hours. I just, I wanted to have that as my goal. And I didn't really care if it was like second, third, fourth, 20th place. Um, and I was on track for that. I was so excited. Like that was epic. I was like epic 14 days. Like this is, you know, and then the second kind of goal was like, okay, well, you know, top 10 would be great. And, you know, the third goal was like, was like, just finish, just finish the damn thing, dude. <laughs> yeah. Just, just, just get over the line. I knew I was going to finish. Like, even if I had to like, you know, buy a bike from Walmart halfway along the route, I was going to finish. Um, but I had also, you know, kind of done the classic Chris thing of like, I had a, had booked a flight like at basically like 16 days 
after, you know, 16 days after the start, because yeah. I was like, you know what, if, if this takes me over 16 days, I'm going to have, there's going to have to have been a problem. Um, and I'm I like, I have that. to I, make it by that time. I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> it's something I wanted to ask you about, but I love that you had a, like you finished at like noon ish. You probably know better than I do, but, and then you had a flight out at 4am the next day to go to Iceland. And then I think the day after that, you opened up your brand new art gallery and studio <laughs> in Iceland. So you had like hard deadlines and you were so confident in your ability to, <laughs> to, to finish in 15 days. It's like, that's just amazing. I, I, I love that I, mentality uh, that you yeah. have. And I'm, I'm curious where that comes from the, the bravado to be like, and I'm saying this in a good way. I, I respect this, you know, you know, the I fact mean, that let's be you, real. It's, it's ignorance. It's ignorance. It's, <laughs> okay. it's ignorance. And it's, it's a bit, cause you know, my body suffered because of it. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like I, I, I underestimated the divide like everybody does, but it, but it taught me through that underestimation. It taught me a lot. And I'll say that in those final days when it was the most hard and I was literally, I fell asleep on the bike. I'll, I'll, I'll fully admit this. Like I fell asleep on the bike while riding multiple times and crashed from that. Like that was really shitty. Like I don't recommend anybody doing that. That was, um, you know, I was having full blown conversations with myself. Like, um, I wasn't treating my body the way that I, I feel like I should. I was trying to make up for lost time. You know, I was upset about, you know, the mechanicals. I was upset about the weather and what the divide does is it thrusts you into New Mexico and nobody tells you like, Hey, New Mexico is the hardest stretch. Mm. Nobody tells you that it's the stretch where like you are praying for suspension your hands hurt, your, your shoulders hurt, you're, you're feeling every bump. There are roads, you know, roads there, there, there's, you know, double track where it feels like every rock is pointed at your bike. And I was blown away that my bike can just disintegrate on some of those descents. I'm not the most flowy technical rider, you know, and there were moments where I was like having to grip my bars so tightly because my, you know, the, the, the calluses of my hands hurt so bad. And at the end, when I realized I couldn't put down the power that I wanted to and the energy. And I was kind of watching like Steve Halligan and, um, you know, come up real fast. And I was like, I wasn't even, I, I had to accept that my goal was this 14 day goal. And then, you know, obviously the secondary goal was 15 days. <laughs> and so I had to accept like, that's the goal. It's not about placing fifth or sixth or seventh or whatever. Um, it's about finishing in that time period. And that's what I was set to do. And um, so I wasn't really bummed when people passed me at the end. I was like, you know what? Like, this is, the, you know, that person's goal is different. You're more bummed about the mechanicals and stuff like that that were just like unforeseen. Yeah. And, and I, I also just kind of had like a level of self-acceptance. I'm like, okay, like I'm still going to make it with my target in mind of like, you know, 14 days or 15 days, you know, obviously that target changed, but dude, the best, the best part, I just have to say this was getting in, getting into silver city. I'm like, bro, I I'm stoked. I have enough time to make it to the border in just under 15 days. Like I'm going to make it. I, <laughs> Oh, my, my Garmin flew off, flew off my bike somewhere in New Mexico on some oh. pass. I can't, even, I can't remember where I was riding down something and my Garmin flew off. I looked for it for, Again, another wasted time. Looked for it for 30, 40 minutes. And I was just like, screw it. I'm only 500 miles from the end. I'm just going to go for it. Terrible decision. <laughs> Terrible decision. 
every time I had a turn, I had to stop and look at my phone for like hundreds of miles. It was a terrible choice. And I had to fully rely upon my phone for and navigation. And then that's a situation not- where you're having to like ride down a road to see if it's right. And then you're like, oh shit, I'm on the wrong one. And then go back down the other one kind of situation. Oh my gosh. Like I was, I feel like just the lack of sleep, the lack of nutrition, all of a sudden I'm just making worse and worse decisions. And this is where I, I think I was the most hard on myself was I'm like, you know what? Like I'm just blowing it. And I was so excited. I got into Silver City and I had just enough time to make it before my deadline. And, you know, I stopped at the gas station for a resupply, spent a little extra time, charged my phone. You know, I couldn't even listen to my phone because listen to music because I would drain the battery too quickly. Another thing I had lost along the way was I lost one of my like 10,000 milliamp chargers. So I didn't have enough juice to fully charge the phone. And uh, anyway, I get down to this, this long kind of dirt section right before the final like 65 miles and my phone dies. And I, I had just enough energy to start it. And I remember I told you, I was like, yeah, like I couldn't load ride with GPS. I couldn't load the route. So I looked at Google Maps because I was like, this is going to load. Google Maps loaded. It gave me three options for roads. I chose the straightest road to get to the highway to get to the pavement. It turned out that was not a road. That was double track. That was ancient, ancient double track covered in chaparral, covered in everything. So I chose that. And that basically cost me probably two and a half extra hours, which is the exact amount of time over 15 days that I wasted. You know, I came in at like 16 days, three hours or something. And um, it was hilarious, man. I I fought through that road for hours. I was so sleep deprived. And it was nighttime. It's worth mentioning it was nighttime it was, too. So dude, you're it's dealing a, with cactus. and. Yeah. Oh yeah. I put on every layer I owned and I just rode as hard as I could through cactus. Every piece of clothing is torn. I'm bleeding everywhere. I got to the highway and then, and then my phone was so dead. Cause like I wasn't creating enough juice to charge my phone on that road. I was going too slow, you know, for the, for the, uh, for the dynamo and, uh, my, uh, to charge my phone. And so I get to the final, I get to the highway and dude, I'm like delirious. I'm, I luckily I had enough energy on my Garmin in reach to text my wife on the Garmin, which takes forever. And I'm like, I'm texting my wife. I'm like, which way do I go? How do I get to Hachita? And my wife is giving me directions. And like, dude, I just was falling asleep. I'm laying on the cement crying. I'm like, it's, it was uh, like, it was my darkest moment. And, uh, and I got, I, I dude, I'm hucking my bike, hucking my bike over barbed wire fences. Like I am just, it, there's there's no regard for for like my body for anything for the bike i'm just chucking this thing hopping over i make it to the highway i'm riding on the highway with trucks i get off i'm going to cheetah i see the sunrise and i'm like dude i'm almost there let's just enjoy this like there's no need to race like the race is over just like just give just like submit yourself to this moment it almost makes me emotional talking about it because i i kind of I had to do that. I pulled into the Cheetah Market. You know, I had, it was, it was exactly 7 a.m. They had just opened. And I like stopped, said hi to the guy there. I'd seen him from some videos. You know, he's kind of like, you know, he's his own, he's his own person. And um, he had the, he had the tracker up and I just was like, so happy to see him. I got a bunch of snacks. I was like, you know what? I'm not going to make my, my destined time, the time I wanted, but this is, a different experience and it's here to teach me something. And so I just like submitted 
I just gave in and um yeah, and that's that's where I ended up, man. It was a beautiful um experience that I was not planning and I learned so much about myself. I learned so much about the bike, I learned so much about my body. Um and and so much that's hard to articulate. And I know you, I know you had some questions and I kind of just glossed over them, but I think that in terms of like that tenacity, that idea, I just in some ways you know, I, I have to remind myself that like everything that I, I, all the privileges I get to do on the bike, much like, much like many people who, who jump into the divide there, it's in between being a dad and being a business Mm -hmm. owner and all these other things. And, um, it took so much, like, I don't want to harp on, on my own, you know, um, like ill will here, but it, it, it took so much to just even carve out the time to train, carve out the time to plan. Like I, I was turning down work. I was turning down jobs. I was turning down family time because I knew that the divide was going to ask so much of me. And, you know, I did open a gallery in Iceland and I had to basically miss like the first, you know, month of that being open. And, uh, the moment that I, I finished the divide, I got picked up in a car, drove 14 hours back home. I didn't sleep in a bed for two and a half days after the divide. I, uh, slept in a car all the way home. And then, uh, my friend drove plane. me and then I, yeah. And then I got home, like drank an energy drink, stayed up all night, got on a <sighs> plane to, to Denver and then another plane to Iceland. And then I finally got here. And that was the first time I slept in a bed and dude, I had like the worst edema, like swollen legs. I've never had anything like this. My legs were so swollen thought I had to go to the doctor, um, more information than you need or the, 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 um, the, the audience of bikes or death need, but, um, but yeah, like, you know, I was having some serious bowel issues, like, uh, still can't fully feel parts of my, um, you know, of my undercarriage and stuff. It was the divide is gnarly. It's hard on your body. And that's all I'll say. Like it was crazy. And I, um, I know there's ways to do it better. And some people just maybe don't, feel all those things but yes um i think that taking the time to appropriately like put your feet up chill out sleep in a bed sleep as long as you can would have been a lot more advisable yeah let's i do want to dig more into your personal training um i'm i'm really interested to know like a lot of times whenever we talk about training, we talk about like, well, how many hours did you ride your bike? And, and, you know, what ways did you kind of prepare, you know, through either gym work or nutritional work or, you know, what gear did you run? But I think like a different spin I'd like to take on this, um, that as I've been reflecting on, on us having this chat and, and something I really struggle with is, is finding the time to achieve my goals. You know, I'm a, I'm a single dad and I'm trying to run and operate and grow a business. And I also want to achieve things on my bike. I want to be able to do ITTs of my own race. I want to do the AZT. You know, I have my own uh, goals that I'm trying to achieve. And the thing that I just can't figure out is legit is the logistics of how you, you or anyone else that, that, you know, manages all these things, does it, but can you speak a little bit to like what your day looks like to be able to put yourself in a position to, you know, suffer that much and to endure that much and to ride your bike 2,800 miles? Like, how did you go about that? (laughs) Yes, um, I I can actually. And I think that this is something that I'm, I'm well suited to speak about because my days 
every day of the week. It's not like, oh yeah, Monday is your bike riding day. And then Wednesday is your bike. It, it doesn't work like that. Right. I typically um, try to have a baseline fitness, meaning that um, I jump on my indoor bike um, as every day, usually. Um, I try to find an hour or two of fitness every day. And that can look different. Sometimes it's running, sometimes it's cycling, sometimes it's an hour cycling, an hour running, sometimes it's an hour of cycling, an hour of yoga. What I will say, and my wife and I have talked about this at length, is it's about what you're willing to give up. If scrolling on Instagram or watching your favorite show is a part of your routine, then you're going to have to give that up. There are certain things you can't give up. You're a single dad. You can't give up time with your kids. You can't give up time with um, you know, with being a parent, you can't give up time with your business, right? So uh, the the analogy of the four burners has always been really good. And that's the four burners, like a stovetop. And imagine you have four burn, burners on a stove and to be successful in whatever you want, you're going to have to turn one of those burners off. And those burners are family, health, business, and like relationships, right? And so you kind of have to decide and choose which of those you want to turn down or turn off to dedicate to health or to business or whatever. So for me, business is one of those things where like I had to kind of choose to like not take on certain aspects of work to make time to train, you know, that meant being less available to work at times, which is, a, which, which is hard. I, I get that for me. Usually it looked like riding, riding for one solid hour in the morning indoors and, and the only reason I'm a big advocate for indoor riding is because there's a, there's a certain baseline fitness that I think is required to do stuff like this. And um, having that consistency was really good. Usually when I would train on the bike, I would just go straight uphill. I wouldn't do anything else, right? Because like if you can ride up mountains and you can ride up hills and you can not get tired, you can ride out of the saddle. Typically, I would ride out of the saddle for an hour going straight up. How many feet can I climb in an hour? And that's all I'd do right? I never did speed. I never did speed work. I'd never do like, I'd never do like, I mean, I guess it is an inter, it's just one long interval training. Right. right? And that's kind of the way I'd operate. Right. I, I wouldn't go and do like 20 minute intervals times four. I don't really care about that stuff. So I would go and just ride up, <laughs> up a hill. And if you look at like most of my Strava rides, it's like just riding, you know, to Zen top or right. Riding the, you know, whatever it is. Um, and then typically I would try to find a day, one day a week, to actually go and do a long ride. So a ride outside, um, usually that would sometimes be like an event or I would choose like, you know, this 300 mile event or this 200 mile event or this 400 mile event to go and do where, you know, once every once a week or once every two weeks, I would try to do an event. And the reason I think those are critical is because at the same time you're training your body and your mind, you're also training your bike. You're trying to make mm, sure the bike yeah. works. You're trying to make yeah. sure the, the charging works, everything. It, it's that honestly is more overwhelming to me than getting your body dialed. That makes so much sense because uh, the efficiency aspect is has to come partially from your familiarity and efficiency with your gear. You know, how well can you change your brake, brake pads and change a tire and how charge your system? Yeah. Can you like, without looking at it, can you grab the cable to charge your Garmin to then charge your, your inReach to charge your phone? Like how dialed is that system? If you have to stop and pull over and grab a cable, I mean, that will kill you. That literally will kill you. And I, I did, um, so I plan to do, I did an ITT of the, uh, uh, stagecoach 400 incredible route. 
I got terrible weather, which was a great divide trainer, to be honest. Um, I did the Yomp Rally, which was 380 miles and like huge amount of climbing in those miles. It was like 50,000 feet of climbing or something through Santa Barbara. That was a great route. I did another um, just personal kind of training rides in this area near my home. It's like all gravel and a bunch of climbing. Um, So for me, those rides, they weren't really so much about how hard can you go? How fast can you go? It's like, how efficient is your bike? How many calories can you get on your bike? How, how good are you at being efficient? Right. And all I was aiming for was like, can I do, which, you know, to do record time on the divide, it's 200 miles a day for 14 days. Of course, that wasn't what I did. That's not what anyone was able to do because of the weather and everything else. But, but you're, you're aiming for that goal, right? So typically I would try to do 200 miles under 24 hours, right? 200 miles under 20 hours to give me four hours to sleep. So that is usually what I would aim for um, when I was doing training rides. It's something around that realm. Um, And I got in maybe one, two, three, four, five, five good uh, simulation rides. Now, the one thing that, you know, Jay Peterberry has mentioned and and I've really kind of realized is that when it comes to the divide, nothing trains you for the divide. And the reason being is because any of these 400 mile rides, anything under 400 miles, most people, as you know, cause you've done it, you don't really try to sleep. You try to just go all out and push to the end. Right. Because like you, you don't really need to like typically 400 miles, you're going to do it sub 48 hours. So what's challenging is that most of these bikepacking routes there's no need to bring a full sleep kit. The divide, you need to bring a sleep kit of some sort, right? Of some kind, whether that's just a bivy and your Sophie on, or whether that's a puffy jacket, whatever. So it doesn't actually prepare you for what it's like to go out, ride hard and long, try to sleep and then get back up and do it again. And that's the part that becomes the most challenging is learning how to go out, ride 200 miles, sleep in a ditch, wake up and do it again. There's nothing yeah. that'll prepare you for that no. really. So, yeah. um, but in terms of, but in terms of being a parent, you know, I found that like being able to steal away a day or 48 hours every couple of weeks was very manageable. Um, being able to find time to, uh, have some training, um, in the mornings, I would have to wake up early. I'd have to, you know, cut out all my TV time, any time that was kind of like that downtime, um, I cut out and, and I, I can't express how I feel like, you know, everybody can find that time in their schedule. Yeah, You know, it's, it's usually a matter of what are you willing to go without to make this a reality? And I, just like everybody else, I had to go without a lot of the, the, the things that make life kind of joyous and happy. And you know what else I really learned was like, obviously I wish I put on more weight before the divide. I was <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to gain, I'm going to gain five pounds. I wish I would have gained 10 or 15 because I don't know what it was, but my nutrition was just off. I couldn't put on weight. I lost too much weight. And that's something that I, um, I maybe wish I would have, um, prepared for a little more. Yeah. You looked like you had 
I mean, you looked like you'd been through war at the end of it. You, I think on Instagram, you said you lost about 25 pounds and not only that, but you were, you had bandages all over your elbows and your arms and your legs and your ankles. And I mean, you were, you were patched up like you had been through the freaking ringer. Like you were the tour divide is, is what it was. It wasn't great. It wasn't great, man. It was so funny seeing all my friends like spotless bodies. And I'm, I'm over there. I'm like, yeah, I crashed. 10 times at night trying to, I mean, this is just, this was just me making mistakes, you know, like I made mistakes. I'm, 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 I'm man enough to admit that. Like I, I made some, some poor decisions and I tried to make up for lost time by not sleeping, which is it, to be honest, it creates diminishing returns. So that was, that was kind of what happened. And I, and I think at the end, I just had to accept what was, which is that, you know what, I'm, I'm going to lose I'm, I'm, I'm going to come in slower than I thought. And that's a bummer, but I know that given what we talked about in the beginning, you and I, we're, we're a learn by doing type of person. We're old school. You know, we, we can't read a book and learn from everybody's mistakes. I realized that I had to learn from my own mistakes. I had to, I had to slowly and, and meticulously gather up all the information that I, that I realized was, stuff I could have improved upon and then just apply that to next time. And I, I really hope there's a next time because it's a beautiful route. I mean, it is so, so significant. And I know that when I do it again, regardless of whether I place well or whether I go faster or whatever, I just hope to do it in a way that makes me feel more proud of my stress levels and my body and the way that I feel in my body while I'm there. Yeah. And managing all of the, you know, the things that come up, avoiding some of the mistakes, managing your emotions when things do go wrong. I mean, yeah, there's always, oh, yeah. I mean, over 2,800 miles, there's, there's probably 2,800 different things you could do differently, i.e. maybe better, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just, yeah. everybody's going to have, you know, a, a laundry list of, of things that they, you know, coulda, shoulda, woulda, essentially. Oh yeah. I mean, the coulda, shoulda, wouldas are there, but I think for me, the biggest takeaways are like, it's, it's really, it comes down to like three or four things. The first thing is night riding is not the same. Like just cause you can ride at night doesn't mean you should. Yeah. You really got to be calculated as to when you ride at night and you got to look at the route and kind of decide which sections you want to do it because there's certain descents where I was like, this would have been the worst thing to ride at night ever. You know, it doesn't matter how good your lighting setup is. doesn't matter how efficient you are. You're just not ideal. Um, and then, you know, again, nutrition. I, I wish I would have had a little better nutrition plan. I wish I would have realized that like those hotel sleeps, there were so many times when I should have probably stopped 30 miles before and just slept in the hotel as opposed to keep on going and then sleeping on the side of the road. And a part of it too, is just being able to charge your gear and be efficient with that. And I mean, I, I never get saddle sores. I had saddle sores because we had so much mud flying into our kit and our oh, chamois yeah. that when I all of a sudden washed my chamois in the sink, I was like, dude, there, it looked like a desert was coming out of this thing. <laughs> and, um, I, I should have stopped to do that earlier. You know, like though there's all these little things where you think you think in your mind that because you're getting ahead, mm -hmm. you're being more efficient, but you're actually you're actually not. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's got to be hard yeah. because, yeah, you think you're getting ahead, but, you know, everybody else on course is going to have to stop and wash out their bivy too, or else they're going to run it. You know, everybody's, like you said earlier, everybody's dealing with the same stuff, but from a competitive aspect, I can see it being really difficult to kind of turn that off and and stop before you necessarily need to, to address an issue before it becomes a problem. You know, that's, it's like hard to know when to do that. Totally. You're absolutely right. And you know, what's wild is like the worst part about it is when you don't feel tired or you don't feel like you should stop. You're like, you know what? In every other race I've done, you know, being able to feel full of energy and excited and wanting to move forward, that's a benefit. The divide, it's a war of attrition. And if you can avoid that feeling of that slow degrade that like, you know what I mean? If you can, if you can get ahead of that degrading mm-hmm. body yeah. and that degrading every like sleep and food, that would be better. You know, Joe nation, that was the, 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 the thing that really struck me is he's like, Oh man, he's like, I've been sleeping and I've been, I've been, I've stopped for food like four times. And I'm like, what you stopped <sighs> for food. And I'm like, Oh yeah, well, I guess all the time that he stopped for food, I was stopping to fix my bike or, or yeah. do this and that, you know? And he's like, yeah, I'd go to McDonald's and get like 10 burgers and shove them into my frame bag. I was like, dude, what I'm over here eating like some gas station food. And you know, the, the saddest thing about the divide, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, you and me, we, we were probably the same in the fact that like one of the joys of cycling is you just get to eat for most for the most part, whatever you want <laughs> right. and, and the food just dis, it di- disappears. But dude, you, you start hating food. You start hating food and it sucks because you, you look at everything in this gas station or wherever. And you're just like, Oh man, all you want is something warm and nourishing. And, you know, and maybe that's the secret to success that I just didn't jump on, you know, like the, the, the most warm and nourishing thing I had for the first six days was like a hot dog or a corn dog. And then all of a sudden, you know, with Joe, we both sat down in Atlantic city to a burger. And that was like one of the best meals I had. And in fact, right after that, when we started to ride the great basin, that was when we had one of the, like, was one of the fastest days. And sadly it ended in a terrible mud. Um, but yeah, man, it's, it's such a, it's such a game and and there's so many ways to play it. And I really, I really love it. You know, listening to your podcast, listening to all these previous winners and previous people who've done it. Like I just have so much admiration for anyone, for anyone who has put their hat in the ring, because I'll tell you one thing, like there is everything else. And then there is the tour divide. (laughs) (laughs) And, And I know that's a very bold thing to say, but like when it comes to the amount of climbing, when it comes to the exposure, when it comes to the sheer length and the and the variety of landscape and the variety of just hostile environments, like it is hard to fathom. Like I vividly remember riding, dude, totally. And you're just like, dude, you're you're riding your bike into lightning storms on mountain passes in bear country in the middle <laughs> of the night, and you're and you're just like this is who I am. Like there's parts of you that just feel so badass. Like you're like, this is insane. Like I, I would never, I would never want this on my worst enemy, but I am willingly doing this. Yeah. And it's just a different beast altogether. And I cannot believe the people who have done it multiple times. Blows your mind. Well, to your credit, um, I got, I've had the opportunity to see a lot of people finish the tour divide now. And you're the only person that, at the border was enthusiastic about 
I would totally do that route again. It was absolutely beautiful. <laughs> and, you know, uh, but every, and now fair enough, a lot of the people I've, I've met at the end have all come from overseas. And so like their cost to do a, a tour divide is like, you know, probably close to 10 K it's a huge investment on every level. And so they have another barrier to entry, but you know, a lot of people don't finish it and they're like, I'm ready to go like right back and, and tackle it again, essentially. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, there were moments where I was like, this is pure joy. You know, you're riding and it's just everything you could ever want. You could sum up in that experience. It's so beautiful. Like I could cry. It just, the thing that almost killed me is it felt like a shame to ride so quickly through a landscape that is so beautiful. And of course that's the, this is the, this is the eternal conundrum of anybody who races is that you're moving fast through landscapes that you want to be moving slow. And you want to be immersing yourself when really, you know, you're just blasting through. But the people on the route, the the people who are cheering you on, the 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 moments of like just pure joy, they 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 really stick with you. And I think that um, you know, to kind of summarize my my desire um, or any desire to do an endurance sport, it's that you really strip away all the superfluous bullshit of life and you get down to just the nitty gritty. Like when somebody offers you, like when somebody like offers you, you know, trail magic or, or they offer you like a a pat on the back or whatever, like you just feel so vulnerable to that kindness. You know, when, when that gas station stay is, is open one minute, you know, and you're, you're able to sneak in there and that's what you really need. Like you just feel like your heart has been like opened up. And I think that the divide, it does that for you. It does that to you, does that for you. There's no way to hide from it. And um, I think that people like you sharing these stories and these anecdotes of this experience is really special. Like I go back now and I listen to some of these episodes and I feel so much empathy and understanding. And, um, And also like just the fire, the fire that that Sofian had to like do this route and to go that hard and to know that when he was at Brush Mountain Lodge, I mean, I remember sitting at Brush Mountain Lodge and I was like, I told myself one thing. I was like, two things. I'm like, I'm going to eat food at Brush Mountain Lodge and I'm going to eat food at Pie Town. I don't mm-hmm. care how long it takes me. And yeah. those were the two, those are the two like divide experiences that I needed because they were so, they're so, because I, I think you, you kind of helped make them infamous and the writers and made them infamous but like i was just thinking about you know years past people like having their route decided for them there or if they were going to win or if they were going to move on i feel mm-hmm. like being a part of that history even even if it's just so insignificant me being able to ride through that history of what people have put into the sport felt very special to me and um i think that that felt like um something that i just needed to do in my life was to like give back to this sport which is so silly that's given me so much joy was to like you know was to have that meal at pie town so that you know the next time i listen to your podcast and i hear about you know jp <laughs> and so and so eating a meal i'm like i'm like dude oh like I, I i know what that feels like now you know i i i know that taste i know that meal i know what it feels like to get a pizza and and a warm bed and like dry out your your clothes and and um man just little things like that were significant yeah. Well, Chris, man, I, I would be remiss if I didn't, you know, tell you how much I feel like you've given to the cycling community, the bikepacking community, 
Um, to me personally, I've, I've had the privilege of talking to so many people who have done the tour divide, whether they've come in, you know, 50th place or first place at, I don't care. Like these people who, like you said, put their hat in the ring and sign up. I respect the hell out of them. And yeah. I've, I've said on this podcast numerous, numerous times, like I won't be able to do the tour divide until I'm like 60 when my kids are, you know, grown up and I just don't have the time and all this stuff. And I've, I've said this for years and I'm going to say this. Uh, yeah, I, I might have, I regret saying this, but you signing up for the tour divide, you signing up for the tour divide and throwing down how you did and giving back to this community and the way you did inspired me to the point where I am now looking at my life and saying, okay, how can you stop making excuses and how can you go out there and ride the divide? Cause if Chris Burkhard can do it, then I, I think that I can too, not to say I'm like your equal, but, but because of all the things that you manage and I, and I know we're always figuring out and it's probably not a perfect one-to-one, -one, Hey, I got it all dialed in, but but yeah. you didn't allow excuses or the fact that you're busy or the fact that you're successful or, or you know, anything yeah. to stand in the way of a goal that you set for yourself. And, and you're not getting anything out of it other than a personal, you know, whatever you need to personally, you know. And no, I, I just no, it yeah. inspires the hell out of me, man. And I, I know from a fact yeah. from people who message me about you that you have inspired a lot of people and a lot of people really look up to you. And so, yeah, I mean, on behalf of myself and the community, thank you for, for just putting yourself out there, man. That's not easy stuff. Yeah. I saw you at the end. You, you went through it, you know, you, you suffered, you bled, you, yeah. you cried, you, I gave. you left it out there. I you gave. gave. Yeah. I gave. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's funny because cycling is a, is a such an interesting sport. And I would say bikepacking has always felt very solitary. And, um, you know, it is, it is solitary bikepacking in general, bikepack racing. Um, I guess, I guess you could say, sorry. And, uh, but this ride felt different. You know, this ride did feel like I was part of something bigger and I felt, I felt like I needed that. I needed to be reminded of that, you know, um, that it does make you feel part of something bigger. Um, the landscape itself makes you feel part of something bigger. The, the people on route, like I, I truly am grateful for every person that I shared a mile with, even though, you know, one of kind of the unwritten rules is like, you know, it's, it, you, you always go slower when you're in pairs, but man, there were dark nights where, you know, I was able to ride with people and share laughs and share tears and sleep on the side of mountains. And just, I, I felt very connected to those people. And I think that it was a good reminder to me that although so much of what we do is solitary, you know, there is joy in being able to share um, this experience with others. And, and for me, like, <laughs> I don't know about you, but I could care, give two shits about my graduating class of high school, but, but being a part <laughs> of the 2023 tour divide, like that means something to me. Oh and, yeah. And it truly does. Yeah. Like it means something like everybody, you know, everybody who raced, I'm just in awe of. And I, um, I feel so privilege to to have um, a family and a business that like kind of gave me the permission to, to to create that time and 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 again i last thing i want to do is is um paint any um struggles or woes that i had but yeah it it is 
it is about deciding what you're willing to go without. And it, it is it is kind of about deciding like how much um, am I willing to sacrifice in my personal life to make this happen? And And I did, I did have to do that. And you know what? It was worth it because I know that although it would be so easy to be like, hey, when I'm 50, I'm going to do the divide or when I'm 45 or when I'm 60. Yeah, but you know what? That's, that's what I've been doing. That's yeah, not, <laughs> that's not here nor or there. And and as somebody who, um, you know, not to get emotional here, but as somebody whose parent is going through cancer, and I'm watching somebody who is is and was the strongest example of life in my life, and the strongest example of like having a zest for life, realizing that that can be taken from you at any moment. I just, I just can't usher this message enough that the time is now and we are gifted with incredible bodies. And you know what, my kids for the, because of the fact that I wasn't able to be there for two weeks, like, what are they going to remember? Are they going to remember that time period, you know, 20 years from now, are they going to know that like their dad put his hat in the ring and went into the unknown and just tried to like, see, you know, how he stacked up against this incredible landscape. And, and I think that message will bear more fruit than <laughs> than if I was around to like play Legos and whatnot. So <laughs> the other the other thing that your kids are witnessing are they're not only witnessing you accomplish something, but they're at home watching you work hard and sacrifice for a year leading up to that thing. And they know oh, yeah. what it takes to do something hard. Right. It's not oh, just yeah. like, oh dad did that, which is amazing. But they also have the example of of how you did it and watching you work hard and sacrifice to make that even a possibility. Totally, man. And you know what's funny is all the times you're sitting in the garage staring at your bike, it's like you might as well be looking over a race car. You know, like it, it's so true. Like people's bikes that they build for these things are as much a part of them and as much of an extension of their body as anything else. You know, and sometimes you end the route hating that bike and sometimes you end the route loving that bike and you talk to that bike. And I I had full blown conversations with my bike and with the bike parts and with myself. And it is a relationship. And I I think it's like, you know, I mean, like you might as well have this kind of race car in the garage that you're slowly building. And um, and that's kind of a fun experience, you know, because my kids were a part of that and they helped me with that and they got to see it and witness it. And, you know, maybe sometimes more than they wanted to. but. Um, I'm grateful that I came back in one piece. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, mostly intact. <laughs> yeah. Mostly intact. Again, a, li- a little bit lighter. They were a little scared. They were like, dad, I've never <laughs> seen you so thin. I'm like, I know. Let's go eat ice cream. You were cream shredded, like man. You were like a shred down. Like, I was like, holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> I was telling my wife, I'm like, I'm like, dude, I look like I need to go apply for like Dallas Buyers Club or something like that. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, it was that was, that was a crux for me. I'd say for anybody else doing it again, like trying to get those calories in is hard. And I, I, um, yeah, I think that just being more calculated there would have been better and, and losing that much weight is not healthy. I, I, I wish I would have lost more like, you know, 10 pounds, not, not like 25 or whatever. Um, but it's, it's a process. And now I'm in Iceland, I'm, uh, preparing for, two ultra marathons and the rift race, which is a gravel ride in the next two weeks. So, um, that, <laughs> yeah, that you're was a crazy man. A, when you say ultra marathon, know, that, you're, that's a run, right? You're doing like two runs. Yeah, it's I'm doing, uh, <laughs> two, two 35 mile runs, um, in the highlands of Iceland, 
um, with like 7,000 feet of elevation gain or whatever. And that was actually, you know, not to, not to make any excuses, but that was one of the cruxes I had is prior to the divide, I was training for these runs. So I would be kind of like running and riding and not really dedicating myself to cycling, which I would have done. And that is the other last piece of Intel I would offer anybody is I came from sea level. Um, you know, Jay Peterberry, other friends of mine were like, Hey dude, the elevation, the altitude is no problem. You know, you gain it slowly. And yes, on the divide, you do gain the altitude slowly. But I will say that when you're up in Canada and you're in Banff and you're climbing over 6,000 foot passes on day one, like that, that takes a toll. And I wish that I would have done a little bit of altitude training. If I do it again, I'd probably spend a little time in Utah or get like an altitude 10 or something like that. If I was serious, um, because I really, truly think that would have made a big difference. And all of a sudden when you get into, you know, the San Juans and you're, you know, you're riding up 11,800 feet, it was taxing. Um, so that's just one little piece of Intel. I wish that, you know, somebody would have said, it's funny. Cause I think everybody that offered that advice, they probably live at altitude. Right. So like <laughs> coming, coming from sea level, it was hard, man. It was yeah. hard. And I mean, I live it, uh, you know, I, I, I guess you do too out in California. I don't know about in Iceland, but I mean, you're, you know, you're, you're living at sea level. So it's not like just coming from there. Like you're, you're adapted to sea level and being at altitude is something very foreign to your body. So yeah, I, I would definitely want to do some altitude training as well. Well, we can wrap it up, man. It's uh 4th of July and we got, I don't know what you need to do, but I'm sure you're a busy man. I am just going out to dinner with uh, some cyclists that actually just finished the West Fjords way. It's, oh, a, it's a route that I helped help build two years ago. It's in Iceland. They're, they just finished their stage race, which is 600 miles around the West Fjords of Iceland. So I'm going to go meet them and kind of congratulate some friends and just keep the stoke alive. You know, I think that's a big, big part of it nowadays is trying to help be an ambassador for cycling in this incredible country. And I invite anybody to come out, bike pack here, come ride. If you need Intel, hit me up. I'm always happy to offer advice, routes, information. And yeah, I just uh, appreciate what you do. Appreciate you spreading the stoke. I'm going to try to do the same. And thanks for having me on, man. It means a lot. Yeah, man. Uh, like I said it on one of the podcasts you were on in the pr previously, but I'm I'm really glad you're on Team Bike. Uh, we're, we're happy yeah. to have you. And you, you are doing a great job being a great ambassador for the sport, both through like storytelling and also example. And uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge fan. I appreciate you taking the time and hopefully we'll get to go ride bikes one of these days. At least I got to meet you, which was which was I got to, dude, I took Chris Picard's picture on the Tour Divide. Like I'm in heaven, man. I'm in heaven. It was one of my <laughs> favorite photos man like i was like i i mean that's like an iconic shot for me like i'll never forget that i actually need to hit you up at some point to get it like printed to have at my desk because it's just it's just hilarious you know well i'm i'm printing it out for my office like it was a iconic moment for me as well like to photograph chris Burkard at the end of the tour divide oh, um you know so you being rad. a photographer it's just like a full circle yeah. kind of thing i'm like I, I, yeah, I was giddy. It was exciting. I tried not to fanboy too much, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it was a great, it was a great memory, man. Well, thanks again. Pat. Yeah, buddy. Appreciate everything. Talk to you soon, bro. All right, man. Take care. Thank you so much, Chris. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. And a big shout out goes to Chris for carving out a little bit of time to share his story about this year's Tour Divide. 
I left this episode uh, feeling inspired as I always do when I talk to Chris and um, I've already, yeah, I've already made some changes in my personal life, figuring out where I can, you know, not watch TV here and not be on social media as, as much here and how I can be a better steward of my time. And it's an always challenging and ever evolving problem, but one that is worth continually trying to solve. And uh, anyway, I really enjoyed that episode. And again, thanks to Chris for coming on. If you like this episode, you might be interested in listening to the other two episodes that I've recorded with Chris. Episode 17 is about his world record on the WoW Cyclothon uh, that's in Iceland. And episode 58 is about the first ever interior traverse of Iceland by bike. Both are excellent episodes. So if you enjoy listening to Chris and I shoot the shit about bikes, you might enjoy those episodes. Of course, you can find the link in the show notes because I want to make it easy for you to find the podcast that you love the most. Also in the show notes is a link to our Patreon page. If you'd like to support this work, you can find out more over at patreon.com forward slash bikes or death, or just smash that link in the show notes. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for being here today. I am just getting back from covering an event up in West Virginia called GRUSK. That stands for Gravel Ride Up Spruce Knob, where I recorded a interview with Chris and Maggie, who were the single speed first place finishers of the 260 mile route option. It was an absolutely uh, beautiful area, beautiful weather, had a great time. And I can't wait to share that episode with you next week. But until then, you know what to do. Don't forget, go ride your damn bike. It was the middle of the night. You grabbed your knife and you held it tight. The sounds of beasts kept you awake. The sounds they made kept you afraid. In the morning, you packed your bike. Memories forgotten from the previous night. You rode faster than ever before. Was it your imagination or merely folklore? Fear turned into strength as you pushed further. Every pedal stroke stronger and firmer. Your bike feels weightless. Your legs aren't tired. You think to yourself, just a few more miles. Bikes. Oh, death. Bikes. Oh, death. Oh, death.